Hi, everybody, and welcome to uh, PropMoto's conference call. We're really excited today to talk about uh, an issue that's very important in the industry, and that's data accessibility. Uh, I have three really great guests. One is Candice Edelin. Say hi, Candice. Hi, I'm Candice. Uh, she wrote a really great uh, article for us called Transparency is Essential to Efficient Markets, and uh, it brought up a lot of really uh, important, interesting points about uh, where the data accessibility is going in commercial real estate. So uh, here to talk a little more about it, we have two uh, very uh, uh, innovative founders of important companies in the space. So uh, we have Richard Sarkis from Reonomy. Hey, how are Richard? Thank you for having me. <laughs> And uh, Josh Frazier from Estated. How you doing, Josh? Very good. Glad to be here. All right. Great. Well, thanks, everybody, for joining. Uh, you know, I kind of wanted to start this call off uh, just by talking a little bit about the nuts and bolts of, of what it means to get property data together. I think a lot of people that I've talked to and uh, a lot of our readers, I think, assume that since so much property data is publicly accessible, that it's not that big of a deal to kind of scrape the internet, get it all together, and have it in one place. And after talking to both of you, I realized how uh, incredibly not true that is. So, uh, you know, Richard, maybe you could start us off and kind of give us an idea of, uh, of what, sure, what your company sure. did to, to get everything together and, and how it's not maybe as easy as, as it seems once it's all done. Absolutely. Uh, well, I actually think the first part of your, your statement where it's you know, easy to quote-unquote scrape the Internet, et cetera, is not necessarily a, a false premise. It's not that hard to get access to data. Uh, and by the way, I would say not just public data, but private data. You know, there is a, a number of large uh, title companies out there, databases that you can buy company info from, uh, geospatial databases, and certainly amplified by all the tax assessor, land records division, secretary of state, uh, public databases. Scraping and getting access to that data isn't that hard. Increasingly, it's all digitized in some format. What is challenging is taking all the different formats of all these different records across the sources, right? And, and so taking all of this sort of mishmash of data and saying, okay, well, now I've got a lot of valuable data somewhere here in my data warehouse. I can't just plop that and say, here you go, uh, consumer X or consumer Y, uh, go ahead and make sense of it. This is you know, going to solve all your data ills. I've got to be able to distill it, derive net new insights and information on top of the raw data, and that's where the challenge really comes in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, Josh, you know, maybe you can speak on that uh, a little as well. I know you, your company is more on the residential side, but uh, it's also not not quite so so easy as it might seem. Yeah, I should I should clarify that a little bit. We are just a public record aggregator, so we don't really have a fancy towards SFR or MFR or commercial. So we're just trying to aggregate everything. Um, that we can get from a tax assessor or a public record source. And I agree with Richard on the fact that it is becoming more accessible and more digitized, which is a huge win. But I also think that there's a lot of these places where they're still quite far away from digitization. Like there's many places that we've created relationships with, um, like county offices where we have to send them hard drives on a monthly basis and, and train them how to upload Excel and send it back to us and or, you know, I think at least four or five counties once a year will send us uh, a CD-ROM still. And, you know, it's yeah. 2019. And so, um, 
it, it is going a long way, but there's 3,100 counties in the U.S. and um, you know there's still there's still a large percentage of that that haven't adopted what today's technology is out there. And then I, I like what Richard is up to on building the insights on top of all of this data. There's extremely valuable data out there, um, and and I think that's such a critical part that that our company hasn't been very focused on. We're still working on aggregation, so I'm excited to to hear his input today. Yeah, I, it's it's amazing. I'm thinking about how that I don't even have a place for a CD-ROM uh, in, in my <laughs> computer <laughs> now. So it, uh, that would definitely make things more difficult. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think we can all understand that eventually, though, this data is going to get digitized. I mean, would you guys agree with me in that respect? Yeah, so I, I like to joke when I when I started this company, you know, six seven years ago. Now I got all giddy by the fact that there was this piece of federal legislation uh, written under the Obama administration that uh, by the year 2016 it was federal mandate that all public records uh, had to be digitized and machine readable and accessible. And I was like, this is great, you know. I just have to wait a few short years, and then to your point, everything will be digitized. It might still be dirty and require a lot of, you know, uh, uh, work to make it usable, but at least it's going to be available. Um, needless to say, uh, 2016 has come and gone, and, uh, you know, as the point was just made, there's still CD-ROMs uh, floating around and all that. So uh, while I agree with you um, in, in, in theory, and certainly there is going to come a time where the overwhelming majority of this data, I think, will be digitized, we're still uh, not there yet. Now, that said, there have been a lot of improvements, uh, and I don't you know, and, and, and I think that we'll continue to chip away at it. But uh, from my perspective, at least, um, you know, we're not there yet. And, and there's still going to be a little bit of time um, until we get to that promised land, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, what do you guys think? One of the main issues that uh, Candace brought up uh, in her essay is about uh, the the ability to adopt standards. You know, she shows parallels to her past career in securities trading, and obviously the ability to have standards has allowed securities to trade at, you know, the multi-second speed that it, it can now. Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, you know, do you guys think uh, standards are going to emerge? I'm, I'm happy to answer that, too, uh, as a first perspective. I think, look, when, you know, a bit of the history of Reonomy, we first started out as a typical web-based SaaS application here in New York City, where we wanted to build a better mousetrap to aggregate uh, the data that was publicly available, initially just publicly available, not really looking at too many private sources across the five boroughs, but do so in a way that was just more informative, i.e. we'd be able to take the raw data and derive net new insights uh, on top of that data. Like, you know, don't just tell me who the LLC owner of a building is, the reported owner, but tell me who the real warm bodies are and the actual companies and their parent companies and all that stuff. And we wanted to do that in a easy use interface. Uh, and in New York City, when you're talking about 300,000 or so odd commercial assets, not anything that's essentially not a single family home, you can kind of brute force your way to that, even though there isn't, you know, a, a necessarily an agreed upon data standard. Uh, and that said, you know, the borough block and lot, the building identifier number and all that stuff in New York actually makes it relatively straightforward. And you can just look at the 
quote-unquote confluence of other commercial real estate data companies out there, uh, ranging from, you know, going back in time, property sharks of this world, uh, there hasn't been a huge barrier there. Now, you can always build a better mousetrap, but the lack of standard wasn't an issue here. Now, then when we tried to figure out how do we scale this model nationwide, that's where, you know, I like to joke that all my hair fell off uh, because that's when it ended up being exponentially harder because now you're talking about 3,000 plus counties, 10,000 plus municipalities, each is its own unique data snowflake, and none of those different entities care about what the other uses as a standard for a property. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was what was incredibly hard because, you know, as Candace said in her, uh, in her essay, in her, in, her, in her piece, there is no QCIP for commercial real estate. There is no social security number for each building that every company, every municipality, every entity agrees that, you know, this building is this specific identifier so it's very difficult to have relational data mapping um, and that really was the crux of what we had to solve initially for our own internal purposes and then we sort of stumbled on the fact that that solution was massively valuable to the underlying large companies in the space mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Are you guys digging into the um, how other companies have solved that exact problem? I'm wondering, Rich, um, like, in, for in example, other sectors, you mean? Companies. Well, like in the property, you know, utilities have solved the problem to a certain degree, you know, where, like, I lived in a townhouse in Princeton, quote unquote. Um, my mailing yep. address was Princeton. We went to hook up utilities and we were told that the, the property didn't exist. And I'm like, well, I'm right. standing in it. But right. <laughs> it, was actually, it was actually a vanity address. The, um, the location was either in Heathcote or South Brunswick, depending on the utility provider. Right. So I'm wondering, you know, are you guys looking at any of that to try to aggregate what they've already done around trying to standardize that? Um, yes, we have looked at it, but like to your point, you, you even uh, foreshadowed it. We don't feel like that's really been programmatically solved in even in the you know in, in the residential uh, you know uh, example that you gave with a townhome, etc. I mean, I, mm -hmm. I lived in a building that was called you know 30 Lincoln Plaza was the quote-unquote vanity address, and I would fight the same way that you did with my cable company because ironically they only knew it as the vanity address, and I was giving my address as 30 West 63rd Street, which is the, you know, actual Department of Buildings address and everything like that. Uh, and so it hasn't fully been uh, solved. It's been solved in pockets because the way it's been solved historically and more at scale is more of the bespoke handcrafted way where literally these companies have created these map, massive ma uh, data mapping tables to say, okay, all these addresses are actually the same subject property uh, and even such things as, you know, MLK Boulevard is the same as Martin Luther King Boulevard. Sixth Avenue uh, in New York City, in Manhattan, I should say, is the same as Avenue of the Americas. And you can sort of like do all this mapping when you're talking about uh, a local player or a regional player even. But then when you start to really zoom out and try to do it nationwide, we haven't had much luck finding 
at least in real estate, any other um, sort of companies that have solved it. Now we have looked, and I've alluded to QSIP and uh, and all that. We are, you know, we have some pretty strong ties to those companies where the same stuff that we've done in, in commercial real estate is of interest to them, and doing some sort of reciprocal uh, um, uh, technology sharing and, and data mapping is, is something we're doing. Um, but there hasn't been that much that's been, frankly, helpful in the real estate space, unfortunately. I would have loved to avoid the brain damage of, of, <laughs> of having to have done it myself. How about you, Josh? I know you guys are, you know, heads down trying to solve these kind of problems. What have, uh, what have you seen? Well, it's a little scary to hear that Richard lost all of his hair trying to solve this problem. <laughs> Just kidding. I've been involved for 20 years. Don't worry yeah. about it. He, he tells that um, joke every time. Don't worry. I know. I really do. <laughs> Forget the old. Um, yeah, so we've run into a ton of problems. You know, one of the first places I think we got some clarity and some hope for the future of at least residential was with um, the Real Estate Standards Organization, or RESO. Um, and if you just look at it, you know, there were – I think if you were to rewind five years, there were about 900 MLSs. Today, I think there's 632. And so they, conti they continue to uh, work with each other and acquire each other. And then when they usually do, they start to map their data the same way as the previous MLS. So we are seeing some standardization in the industry. But, like, I couldn't agree more on when we're pulling in, like, we're pulling in about 7,500 different data sources with, you know, over 100 million, 125 million properties within all those data sets, and they're all standardized significantly differently. And, and we're using machine learning for that. Um, like, you know, they can process those extremely fast, and if it fits to our schema and how we're mapping our data set, um, you know, the machines can do that fairly quickly. But, you know, for us to do that at full scale every single three months, we need 25 people doing that and that's still like that's way too many people like this yeah, you know in the year brutal. from now it'll be it'll be significantly faster um but we're learning as we go and and i couldn't agree more like that it's it, it's getting better but we still have a long ways to go right well i know there are organizations looking to put standards together i mean candace you talked with uh, you know lisa stanley from oscar i mean what, what's your feeling about how that that is going <laughs> Well, I think a standards body like Oscar is going to be absolutely necessary because you can't do this in silos where it's one company that decides to try to own that. Um, Swift has done that in the capital markets, and um, you know there's there's been some pretty big problems around um, them owning all of that data. So Fix was established as an industry standard that was a, a, a body that was a membership-based um, body rather than, and it was freely available open source. So I think first it's got to be open source. It's got to um, be driven by participants in the industry. And right now I don't think um, Oscar has a massive membership. They have a few hundred um, members, but I think we need more involvement in it. And involvement from the vendors in addition to the, the market participants, because if you just have vendors drive it, you're going to get something that's a little skewed towards the vendor community. If you just have market participants drive it, then they're not necessarily building it in line with what vendors can actually achieve. So I think we need both participation from both. But until we start driving that from a broader 
adoption rate, I don't see our market being able to get there like we did with fish. Yeah. I, I actually have a pretty sharp perspective on this one because as somewhat of an industry outsider when I started Reonomy, I was not a, you know, a, a, a former broker who felt the pain firsthand and decided to build Reonomy to solve, you know, the, the ills that I suffered on a day-to-day basis. So I, I don't believe that companies will adopt a standard for standard's sake or if it's pushed onto them. Uh, I believe that companies are sort of self-serving organisms and are going to do what's best for them and for within their four walls, uh, first and foremost, shareholder value and whatnot. Uh, and if by extension, whatever they're doing to solve their own data issues and weaponize their own data and uh, make it more of a profit center versus cost center uh, as a second order sort of benefit if then they get to a place where they've adopted uh, a standard almost like unbeknownst to themselves then great and I think we'll get there and then we can do some pretty interesting things across the industry but I found it fairly uh, hard and I've sort of chatted to some folks who've been doing this for decades and it's almost like every five or ten years or so the big titans of industry get together and say like we should really do a standard and we should like uh, cooperate together because we've got a lot of data and then, you know, if it's give to get and, and there's a sort of co-op model, that'll be of interest. But I think people, companies have always gotten tripped up on, uh, well, whose standard should we adopt, which standard, which one's going to be pushed onto me versus if they're just solving their own problems and by extension, that's going to help establish a, a standard. Um, that's probably the way in which I see it playing out more effectively. Yeah, I would totally agree with you that this has got to be driven by a profit motive from the firms that are, are involved. Sure. And today I was at a, a conference where, where this very topic was being addressed and just the environment within, um, let's say, a big asset manager. You know, they've got all of these different properties and they can't even see everything related to a single property. So I'm talking about right. everything down to the HVAC up to, you know, the property management performance to the leasing performance to the investor management systems, you know, everything really needs to be tied together so that they can use that data and make better decisions. And I think that that might be the thing that drives it is just getting the data out of the various platforms that these firms are using in their own house, standardizing that and normalizing around that will probably be more of a driver. I agree. Well, I mean, I'm going to push back a little bit on this because, you know, it. I agree that while the tech companies themselves have a lot of reasons to not standardize, the end user, you know, which would be the real estate industry, would actually benefit quite a bit from this, right? If we could, you know, if the, the big brokers of the world and the big asset managers of the world all started, uh, you know, asking for a standard in, in this data, you know, that that could be where it could come from, you know. Would would you guys agree or disagree with that? Yeah, I actually think Candace and I would agree with that. Uh, I, I think we're probably saying the same thing. I think w what I'm saying, and I think what Candace is saying, is uh, even though the commercial real estate companies themselves would certainly benefit and ultimately would want a, a, a standard because it would help not only weaponize their own data, but also um, participate more broadly and efficiently in, in, as part of the CRE ecosystem. I think they're not 
not going to get there. They're not going to mobilize the resources necessarily to get there for the, just the sake of establishing a standard. I think there's going to have to be some other shortish or medium-term profit uh, a lot of these now increasingly are publicly traded companies as well with real quarter-by-quarter quarter uh, you know, shareholder earnings pressures uh, that is going to drive their behavior more so than wanting to establish a standard. I, so, but I think there's a way to have the cake and eat it too, whereby you can help them solve their sort of profit issues uh, or, or reach uh, or weaponize and, and, and get drive top-line growth. Um, by giving them this standard, but then that's really not the end all be all. It, it, you don't lead with that, is mm -hmm. what I'm saying. And you don't exactly. think there should be a, a, an outside association to do this? I mean, Josh talked about earlier about you know MLSs, and I know like the CEO of Compass w came out uh, recently, kind of saying that there should be a national MLS uh, on on the residential side. I mean, do you see? these kind of national associations being a way to be like arbiters of a standard or are uh, MLS? That honestly seems, that seems like a marketing play from Compass, which they're legendary at <laughs> considering their growth in the last few years. But like from, so I have had the opportunity just in the last six months to speak with a handful of the largest um, MLS associations like FBS and, uh, Navica, there's a handful of them, and these are legacy old companies that aren't yeah. ready to adopt change, and they're trans transacting billions and billions, like hundreds of billions of dollars a year, and so it's very hard for them to want to in, like adopt new technology when traditionally they've just been, you know, a little bit of a cash cow. Actually, not a little bit. Like they, these guys are making tons of cash and using their old technologies, and in no time in the near future is there going to be a national MLS. Like, not in – I couldn't see it happening in my lifetime. Um, don't get me wrong. It will go down to 300, 400 over the next 10, 20 years, and they'll keep gobbling each other up. But I cannot see that. I think that was just to get a little bit of rise. But, those, like, the National Association of Realtors is not an association in America that you want to mess with. I actually don't think that's a good tree to go bark up. I was really interested when he said that. And so, I mean, what do you think? Do you think eventually these MLSs will go away, Josh? I mean, uh, it seems like that, that might be uh, a long time before that happens as well. But if we do have instant access to, uh, to data and listing data, you know, there's, that could be a possibility. Yeah, that's yeah. A few, that could be a faraway future. I can't see that happening any time, like, in the next 10 years, that's for sure. They just have too much power. They're like one of the biggest lobbying associations in America. Like the NAR is bigger than the NRA, which is a mind-boggling thing to think about. But um, I can't see them all wanting to work together. There's too much ego. And not like it would take away from each other's profits. And, and that's I mean, the driver right there is if they can find a way to profit from it, standards can be adopted. But what I was talking about was not that people won't adopt standards, it's that it has to be driven by a profit incentive. So if there's not a profit incentive for the MLSs, then other bodies are going to have to drive that kind of change, and it's going to have to be driven by some sort of a commercial incentive or regulatory. Yeah, uh, yeah, ex I agree. Exactly right. Regulatory or commercial incentive. 
I mean, and so without standards, if we are a long ways off from true standards, do you, do you think you could ever consider uh, property data a commodity? Maybe Richard, yeah, so can... actually, so so again, I, I don't think what we're saying is necessarily mutually exclusive with a world where there is a standard. Right. I just right. think that um, there has to be a company, hint, hint, Reonomy and, and others, uh, that, that are solving for these companies within their four, four walls very real, tangible problems, like Candace said, like fundamental existential problems like can we as a top five global brokerage firm tell you uh, and, and, and give to our brokers instantaneously all the information, the wealth of knowledge that we have about 767 Third Avenue in New York, about the Willis Tower, all that stuff, without it taking us weeks. And literally, that's what it takes uh, you know, in the status quo, uh, weeks to pull all that data across all these different uh, databases from valuation and advisory to capital markets to leasing to research research and all that stuff and then stitching it all together. Can we bring all this data to bear in real time? And, and, and we are willing to invest in that kind of solution. And if by extension, that solution is the same solution that our brethren across the street are using to solve that very same problem. And oh, by the way, that's also the same problem uh, that uh, big banks like uh, you know, JP Morgan or Wells Fargo or Citi or Bank of America are also trying to solve with regards to their uh, commercial real estate data. Then you get a very interesting Interesting world whereby all of these folks have a have the same problem, b have adopted the same solution, and then you sort of sort of end up with a standard where they're all using the same solution, uh, but without that being the explicit goal going into the uh, the whole thing. And that's how it got adopted in the capital markets too. I mean, it was exactly. Fidelity and Solomon trying to solve a problem of trade fails. And so they developed a way to electronically communicate to reduce their costs and reduce the fail rate. So it was a specific commercial objective. And then because they were so big in the industry, they were able to drive adoption more broadly. And then a standards body was established. But it's not usually something where the standards body gets to do the driving until you have enough commercial interest in making the standard something that everybody's communicating under. It took years for FIX to get to um, be adopted across the, across the industry. It was like from 94 to 2000, um, adoption was pretty spotty. Well, I think it's a, a really good analogy, but I think there are some, you know, some stark uh, contrasts as well. And I think uh, what I think about is how a lot of, these, you know, obviously, if you're trading financial, if you're trading stocks, securities, everybody needs to be on the same page, right? Everybody needs to know, have access yep, to data yep. to know where to make a market. Well, that is very much not true in the property industry, right? Like, Correct. if I own a building, I, I, I don't care if someone else knows how many, I, you know, how much I sold a quote-unquote share of the building for. I, I kind of want to keep that private. And, uh, you know, I, I've talked to both of you about how, you know, there probably will be companies that always hoard data and don't want to give it out because there there's power there. I mean, uh, you know, do you see a world where all data is accessible or will there always kind of be these dark spots where they're just people kind of uh, keeping it, you know, keeping it for themselves? I, I think it'll be a choice. I think that's the key. I think the industry also has 
some scar tissue of sort of losing custody of their data. And uh, they realize, rightly so, that, that uh, ultimately the end users, their clients, are going to make decisions based on who has not only the best data, but the most relevant data to them. And ultimately, data is their currency. And the insights that they can derive is the currency in which they pitch themselves versus the, you know, the, the company across the street. Uh, but I think you know, the, the key is if, if there is a solution where they maintain the custody of their data and it's their choice whether or not to participate in the sort of the greater sort of co-op model where it's, again, greater give good. to get, right, the greater good, um, then, then you know, it'll depend, and it'll be on a case-by-case basis. The same way, you know, when Hulu started up, they went to all the big studios and said, hey, we've got a crazy idea that, you know, we're not a content provider, but we're going to aggregate c- content across, you know, NBC, Universal, uh, Disney, and all these different uh, content players, and, and we're going to redistribute it. And initially, they were, you know, looked at like they had three eyes, and it's like, why the hell would we basically can cannibalize our own model and everything like that. And then they said, no, 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 this is a different way for us to reach, you know, this audience. And it's, or there, there's only four slots available. And if you want to be a charter member, again, it's your choice. Like you, you will uh, participate and own in this co-op. And I think that uh, again, with the choice uh, is, is, uh, is going to, allow the industry to both maintain ownership, custody, control of their data, but also as they so choose, and we'll likely get to a tipping point where there's a critical mass of players that are participating and then you almost have to, um, but then you have the choice to participate or not. But also data accessibility doesn't necessarily mean data is publicly available. It means that it's available for interoperability. So, you know, it's about creating interoperable systems. I just um, heard from a, um, a large asset manager that is managing, you know, millions of square feet of properties said they had 22 different accounting systems, you know, so, and that's just one element of the platform. So I'm talking about within an asset manager managing millions of square feet creating some level of integration and interoperability between every layer of the technology within their house. They don't need to share that with anybody, but they do need to access it themselves. As John Gilbert said, data is the new oil, but if you don't get it out of the ground, refine it and get it to the user, it's useless. Oh, I like that. That's Isn't so that perfect. nice? <laughs> yeah. Like I have, I have two friends with small shops, like, they have less than 10 employees and they manage over half a billion dollars in multifamily real estate across the U S and they just live off Excel sheets, but they make so much money. Like they have, they have Mm -hmm. no incentive to go and make that data like public information. None. But making their Excel sheets perform better for them so that they can do more data driven decision making that can help them make a quantum leap over their, their competitors in what properties to buy, for example. When your take home's fifty million a year, I don't know if you worry about it. <laughs> Point taken. You know, and I've heard this from a lot of people that they think that it might actually be a downturn that will you know, be one of the things that could speed up uh, you know, this kind of adoption because you're right, if people are all making money it's you know, the hardest sell in the world is to tell someone that they're doing something wrong when they're making money doing it, you know? Right. 
So, you know, we, we joked about the, the quote-unquote greater good, but, uh, you know, I do think there is a lot of uh, efficiencies uh, that to be made and a lot of money and time and, and resources left on the table because of the inefficiency, not having, uh, you know, ac- easy access to, to property data. And one of the things that struck me about talking to both uh, you and Josh, uh, Richard, is that there's... Uh, a lot of other industries that actually use this data as well, and I thought maybe uh, on the way out, both of you guys could give me uh, interesting examples of uh, you know what. It's not only the property industry that is interested in property data, but uh, but about the, the other the other people that are hungry for this information as well. Like yeah. healthcare comes to mind immediately, um, hmm. and like one of our like huge things that we're always talking about is like. You know, we're up against like CoreLogic and these massive legacy industries, and I honestly believe that within three to five years, we could give this foundational layer of property data for the entire nation in a standardized format out for next to nothing of what people would have to pay hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions, to get access to. We could just give them that foundational layer of historical data. Now, where Richard's company adds so much value to that is building all the insights on top of that. There's so many brilliant companies out there that can go and build insights and analytics on top of that to make these like really quick, smart decisions. And the ability to just have that access could change the game in these industries. But it's the, someone has to be willing to get it out there at an affordable price point. And like. It's, it's such a challenging situation, uh, like how we started this call out. But I do believe that there will be players in the game and people will begin to partner together that want to do this for the greater good. Like we are absolutely opening, opening it up to partners that are willing to give us their data so that we can organize it for them and then let them use their analytics on top of it to make better decisions. But it is a challenge and it's such a massive industry that it takes a long time. But I'm sure Richard has other industries as well, but healthcare is another one. Like I'm originally from Canada, so I'm just like two years into understanding the slightest bit of what U.S. healthcare is, and it's mind-boggling to me. <laughs> yeah, I think. Look, it's a, it's a massive asset class. It's it's you know depending on who you ask, the single largest, and it it, it continually astounds me just how many different stakeholders, constituents, companies out there care about commercial real estate, not just the direct participants that, you know, we've all talked about the brokerage firms, the lenders, the developers, the institutional investors, but those who care about commercial real estate or real estate as an investable asset class, hedge hedge funds, private equity, insurance companies are another huge, huge one that uh, care about both the debt and equity uh, side of the uh, equation. Um, And then you've got basically every retail and occupier, they care about real estate as it relates to their location strategy, their footprint. That's a huge cost item. Uh, in, In most cases for retailers, not only is it a cost item, but it's tantamount and paramount to uh, revenue as well, right? Choosing the right location is, is sort of bread and butter to a Starbucks, uh, for instance. And so, um, you know, th- there's a lot of wide uh, applications, and it's a very large addressable market, which, you know, for us is exciting because uh, it's, you know, some, you're doing something of consequence, which is always exhilarating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, no, I agree. And, I, you know, I want to thank you guys for joining, and I want to thank you, Candice, for writing such a – a great essay. I definitely hope everybody that listens will uh, go out and and read it and check it out. And uh, yeah, I think this is going to conclude our our conference call. And thanks everybody for joining. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Take care. Bye guys.